0: Notice we're going, to, we're going to touch on that a little bit again at the end. But Paul says two things. You're going to suffer for the sake of Christ, and you're going to be engaged in a conflict. Um, we'll get to the conflict part in a minute. But the suffering part reminds me of a passage from uh, 2 Corinthians where Paul talks about his sufferings. Are you all familiar with Paul's list of sufferings? Um, I'm going to read that to you. It's out of 2 Corinthians uh, if you want to follow along. Uh, it is 2 Corinthians 11. Paul goes through a list starting in verse 23 where he says that he has in... i um, sorry, what did I say? 11. The 2 Corinthians 11, yes. And 23. He says, I have endured far greater labors Far more imprisonments, countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, and not the way you think that was with rocks. Three times I was shipwrecked. I mean, when we read that word, we think the wrong thing. He was beaten with stones, literally. Three times I was shipwrecked, a day and, or night and a day I was adrift at sea. I was on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, in danger from robbers, in danger from my own people, in danger from the Gentiles, which is everybody else. Danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger in the sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from these other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Um, ask a pastor someday about the anxiety for, all, for the church, just the local church that he's in charge of. And imagine that extrapolated over Paul who had anxiety for all the new churches that he had his hands in, either starting uh, or training or raising up. You can imagine that Paul had a lot on his plate and it says, uh, according to him, that he suffered a great deal and in a great many ways. And if we follow Christ, we, were all, we will also suffer. Now, you may have suffered now. You may have suffered in the past. You may be suffering. Or maybe your suffering's yet to come. But Scripture said that following Christ has an aspect of suffering assigned to it. Again, in the Western world, we live with great protections. No matter what you think about our government and our culture and our system uh, uh, of politics, we have great protections compared to many other places in the world. Our system of religions, uh, all religions, is free, and we are not persecuted by our government or by others for being Christians as we are, uh, as our brothers and sisters are in many other places. One of the reasons we don't suffer as much is that we enjoy this protection. Um, I've spoke to a friend this morning. I have a friend who uh, lives in Myanmar, and he may even be watching right now. Hey, if you're, if you're on with us, he tunes in. Um, and I asked him a little bit about what suffering's like in Myanmar, and he says it's not as bad in some places, but they do suffer, uh, primarily because the region is Buddhist, They struggle uh, to find places to rent. They struggle to find places to live because they'll find a place to rent and live, Uh, and word will get out that they are Christians and that they are worshiping in their house, and then suddenly their contract will be revoked. And then they're back on the street looking for another place. And, and so that's just some ideas. I know for us living in Poland, um, it could be difficult depending on the size of the village you lived in. If you lived in a big city, you probably didn't experience too much suffering. But if you lived in a small village and you were Christians, you could experience um, you know, name-calling, rock-throwing, uh, problems like that. Uh, you could maybe even have uh, struggles finding a job. Uh, and there were other struggles involved in that. Uh, depending on how old you are in Poland, um, we had a lady that adopted us. We called her babcia which means grandma. She was like our Polish grandma. Um, she grew up through World War II, and through the wars, at one point, they had to make a choice to either uh, align themselves with the Soviet Union and renounce their faith or stick with their faith, um, and many of the Christians in that country chose to follow Christ as opposed to <laughs> following communism. Um, how does that affect them today? Here's how it affects them. Um, because she wouldn't choose to follow communism, she earned a lower rate of pay, and she earned a lower rate of what's called um, retirement. I won't t- trouble you with the word, but it's their retirement. And so, she, she has since passed, but, but while we were living there, she would earn less in her monthly retirement payment than other people who had either renounced their faith or were never a Christian to begin with but had gone uh, with communism. Now, those are just some really small observations. Um, there are thousands of, of ways that our Christian brothers and sisters suffer throughout the world for following Christ. So as we take a look at this, I want to uh, run through there's six things I'm going to go through uh, real briefly. And maybe, maybe armed with some biblical knowledge about suffering, we will not only learn to understand it, but maybe we will learn to welcome it as Paul did. So what is our attitude in suffering? I'm going to read out of 1 Peter, uh, 1 Peter 4. Turn over here, 1 Peter 4, 12 through 19. Read along with me. This uh, you know, in Scripture, I was talking to Amory about this morning, none of the numbers in here were in the original text, right? And neither were the little subtitles, the broken, the, the paragraph breaks. Uh, but I, I am going to mention that the subtitle break in my Bible says suffering as a Christian, which I think is interesting since that's what we're talking about today. Let's read this together. First uh, Peter 4, starting in verse 12, says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening. what will, um, sorry, what will be the outcome for those who did not obey God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. I'm real quick going to unpack this passage and just give you some things, to, some notes to write down about suffering. When suffering comes... Uh, Peter says, do not be surprised. Do not be surprised. Uh, Have you ever found that something happened and you're like, I'm surprised by this? (laughs) Do you remember the verses that Anne-Marie read at the beginning? Jesus basically said, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised in this world and in this time when there's trouble. There's going to be trouble. Take heart, I have overcome the world. But there will be trouble. So do not be surprised. Now, this is odd um, uh, Peter says, rejoice and be glad. How difficult do you think it is to rejoice and be glad in suffering? The proper attitude uh, for suffering is to rejoice in it and be glad. He says, rejoice insofar as you share with Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. And then check this out. He says, if you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rest upon you this literally means if you suffer for Christ's name it is a it, it's literally it's like a proof that you're his okay so what's the converse of that <laughs> if you don't suffer for Christ's name what does that mean and 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 what's happening in our culture in in, in our western world that we don't find that we're suffering Why is it that we're not suffering? I hope that's a question that you go away with today, uh, because it's a question that's been troubling me all week. He's drawing a distinction here. This is Peter again. He says uh, that not all suffering is the same, and I want to draw that distinction today and say that we're talking about suffering for the sake of the name of Christ today. Some of us have suffered. I have been really cold. Anybody ever been really cold before? Um, I've suffered in being really cold, especially outdoors in Montana, outdoors in Poland. There were some times Lydia would go, well, maybe that could have been suffering for the name of Christ, but Lydia would go to the villages to teach English in the dead of winter, and they would give us a little building to meet in, but they wouldn't turn on the heat because some of the people in the village wanted us to be there, and some of us didn't. I guess that was a bad example because that is kind of suffering for the name of Christ. She would come home so cold, But some of us have been cold for other reasons. We've been hunting, we've been out (laughs) ill-dressed, we've been at a football game, we didn't bring the right clothes. Those are not the kinds of sufferings we're talking about. We are talking about suffering as it is related for being a Christian. And then he connects, uh, I love this, uh, Peter kind of connects this back to what we've been talking about uh, in uh, Philippians where he says, don't be ashamed. The proper attitude when you suffer is not to have shame for it. But instead, if you go back and read that passage we read out of 2 Corinthians, Paul says, I'm going to boast about these things. He almost, he almost uses it as a point of pride. It's like, hey, you think you have it bad? Listen to how bad I got it. <laughs> yeah. Beaten, stoned, left for dead, cold, hungry, all for the name of Christ. And he goes on and he, he goes on and he goes on. It says that the proper attitude of suffering, also carries with it an idea of entrusting yourself to God. And I think maybe that's part of where the struggle is for the Western Christian, is we don't really want to suffer. Um, We don't want to say to the Father, I'm willing to suffer for your name. That's what it means to entrust yourself to the Father, to entrust yourself to God in saying no matter what comes, no matter uh, what kind of suffering comes down to me, I'm going to entrust myself to you uh, because we're sure of our future. And then he says, in the midst of suffering, do good. Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So proper attitude for suffering doesn't look like the kind of attitude we have when we suffer, does it? (laughs) Because we we do what, in fact, maybe it's, it's, it's fitting. It's apropos that your kids are, are studying uh, do everything without arguing and complaining, <laughs> grumbling and whining today because that's what we typically do when we suffer. Lydia and I went to the opening uh, baseball game this last year for the Cubs. And whatever you think about the Cubs one way or another, I know the Sox fans are laughing. Um, it was freezing, freezing, freezing. We brought those little... Um, Packs that you break to get hot. We brought two sets of each of those for us, and we, bro- you know, we were fine until we had something to eat. We took our gloves off to have a snack, and then the whole rest of the day our hands were cold. We broke those packs up and we stuffed them in our gloves, and we just froze to death. Um, the, that was suffering for the for 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 being underdressed, I think. But we suffer for a lot of different reasons. Uh, again, we're talking specifically here about suffering for the name of Christ. Um, one of the things about suffering, uh, I love Galatians 2. This is our second point. Uh, Galatians 2 says, bear one another burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And I'd never really thought about this when I was studying this week, that this is not just about carrying one another's burdens, but carrying one another's sufferings. So there's an idea in scripture that suffering doesn't happen alone, um, that we do our suffering together. Uh, And that fits with last week's message where we talked about striving side by side. Running this race together um, also means suffering together. It's easier to suffer when you suffer with another person, isn't it? I know we weren't suffering for Christ. We were suffering for baseball. But it was easier that Lydia and I were there together freezing. Uh, We went and bought a blanket, actually, that day and wrapped up in it. (laughs) It was so cold. But it was easier to do it when we had somebody else to suffer along with. Um, Lydia's uh, sufferings in the cold in Poland. She went with a team of what, like five or six other folks, you know, so um, they were bonded together in their suffering in the cold. Uh, In 2 Corinthians, I'm going to read out of chapter 4, Paul talks again about the many ways of suffering. Uh, Suffering doesn't just look like one thing in one way. Um, He says this in chapter 4, verse 7, he says, we have this treasure in jars of clay. That's a reference to our body, that we're fragile and we're, um, we're impermanent. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. Um, that is a perplexing passage, isn't it? <laughs> it doesn't sound like a, a pleasant... When you... When you talk to somebody about following Christ and, and, and asking them to, to, to make Christ the center of their life instead of their own desires and wills, we don't often go to this passage and say, you know, um, following Christ means you're going to be afflicted <laughs> and crushed, and, or not crushed, but perplexed, not despaired. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to be struck down. Uh, you're going to carry in you the body of the death of Christ, But for the purpose that Christ may be manifest in us, and we don't often talk about what suffering does in the life of the Christian, and that's this this fourth point, is that suffering prepares us and equips us. Um, I don't know if you've ever exercised or done a lot of working out to try to get into shape. They say that old phrase, right, no pain, no gain. It's true, actually. Um, I'm a little out of shape. We're still getting back into the swing of things, doing the rowing machine and all that stuff. But I remember when I started, um, Lydia and, and our youngest uh, tricked me into taking Taekwondo. <laughs> How long ago was that? About seven years ago? They, they set this up for our youngest to go, and they're like, Dad, you take, you take and, and go and do the, the, um, the Taekwondo and just watch. But when I got there, they were like, The, the, the instructor was like, Oh, they said you were going to take part two. Why don't you just try it one time? You know, so I started. That was the hardest three years of getting in shape. It was painful. It was a struggle every time. And building core strength, which I don't have as much as I did then, and all the other things that I had to go through to do that. Um, But it prepared me and it equipped me to progress through Taekwondo to the point that both our youngest and I got our black belt's. Would have never thought that could happen. But suffering does the same thing in us. Read out of um, 2 Corinthians 1, in the words of Paul again. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. In other words, when we suffer, and are comforted by God, we are prepared to walk with and work with and minister to those who are also suffering. He prepares us, and He equips us in suffering to love others better, to minister to others better, to comfort others better. It equips us to serve. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18 says, don't focus on the suffering. And this is another problem we have, right? When something is going wrong or we're, uh, again, back to the the Cubs, we were freezing to death. It was hard to watch the game because we were so cold. We weren't freezing to death. I mean, we use terms like that, right? It's it's hyperbole. It's exaggeration. We were nowhere close to dying um, for being cold at the Cubs game. But we thought we were really cold, and it was hard to focus on the game when you're shivering and you're freezing, right? And and that's what he's talking about here is don't lose focus. Let's read 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. He says, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away through some suffering he apparently is having, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Uh, in other words, never forget that uh, the, the follower of Christ is uh, and following of Christ is a spiritual activity. It's not as much a physical activity as it is a spiritual activity. We tend to focus on physical stuff. Uh, if we feel hungry, if we feel sick, if we're cold, we're hot, uh, whatever it is, and we are, we are comfort-seeking Um, Maybe uh, all humans are comfort-seeking, but I think Western humans are even more comfort-seeking. But Paul says, Don't lose heart. Though the outer self is wasting away, the inner self is being renewed. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. The things that are seen are transient. The things that are unseen are eternal." Suffering should refocus us on the unseen things. Maybe that's why we don't focus on the unseen things enough, because we're too comfortable. We're too comfortable. Why do we need to focus on the unseen things when we're warm and well-fed and clothed and, and have a place to live and a job and all the things that we could ever want and the things that we want that we can't afford, we can still get on Amazon with a credit card if we need to. We live in the world of fulfill our desires and needs. Um, and, and so it's hard for us to focus on these things. Uh, and, and I think that's part of why the idea of suffering fails to connect with us and, and it fails to grab us um, because we are comfort seeking. We are comfort seeking. The last point here says suffering is guaranteed. I don't know about you. That, that scares me a little bit. Um, I don't know if it scares you. I don't know if it should scare us because um, suffering for Christ is an indication that you belong to Him. So it shouldn't be something that we are worried about. Jesus promises us, again, in the scripture that Anne-Marie read a few minutes ago, John 16, at the end. He says, I have said these things to you that you may have peace. In this world, you'll have tribulation. That can also mean suffering, uh, hardship, affliction. Um, But take heart. I have overcome the world. There's going to be a momentary time. There's going to be some time of suffering as the Christian uh, who is living for Christ. But take heart. Because that is just a light and momentary affliction. If you're a believer, a follower of Christ, it has been granted for you, it says, to believe unto Christ uh, and to suffer for Christ. I think this is a true statement. uh, I didn't didn't get this out of Scripture, but I think this is true, kind of boiling this all down. um, If you're not suffering in some way for your faith, you're not doing it right. I think that's a true statement. Um, We'll have to test it out. We'll have to test it out, and everybody's like, "Oh no! <laughs> How are we going to test this?" Because honestly, the main reason we don't suffer is we don't want to, right? Because we're comfort-seeking, we do everything we can to stop being uh, suffer. We just to, to stop suffering. We do everything we can, um, and and often that even extends out of the physical and the body into the spiritual side of things, doesn't it? We avoid certain things. We maybe avoid saying certain things. We avoid talking to certain people about certain topics because we know um, there may be some ramifications or repercussions for doing so. And maybe the reason that we're suffering is that we don't reflect Christ enough to the world to draw that suffering Maybe the reason we're not suffering is because we don't reflect Christ enough to our enemy Satan for him to do anything about it, right? Satan looks and he's like, I've already got you in my hand. You're comfortable. You may belong to Christ and he'll get you later, but for now I can keep you down by, by making sure you're comfortable and feeding that need and that desire to have everything just right. Back in the Philippians passage at the beginning, we read where Paul said that we would suffer for his sake and engage in the conflict. It's an important question to ask, what is the conflict? And there are a lot of things that Christians think right now that we are in conflict about that aren't actually the things we should be in conflict about. Suffer for his sake and engage in the conflict. Uh, We make this political. Uh, We make it about us. We make it about our needs. We make it about our desires, our wants, and our perceived rights. But that's not what Paul's talking about here. He's not talking about the stuff that consumes all of our time and effort right now. As Christ followers, it doesn't matter (laughs) what our needs are. Desires, wants, and perceived rights are. It doesn't matter one bit to God what those are. All that matters is are we obediently following Christ? Are we obediently following Him? Are we loving our neighbor? Are we loving our Savior? Are we suffering for our own sake? That's pointless. It's pointless to suffer for your own sake. Are you suffering for Christ's sake? That's everything. Are we engaged in the visible conflicts of this world against the culture? That's pointless. Are we engaged in the invisible conflict of gospel truth against the blindness that is caused by sin? That's the battle. And that's just another way Satan confuses us, just another way Satan uh, gets us off track, because he gets us conflicted about the things we can see and the stuff that's going on in our culture that, exf- that affect our needs, wants, desires, and perceived rights. Because if we get in arms, uh, up in arms about those things, then we forget to be up in arms about the most important thing. Matthew twenty-eight nineteen 19, and 20. I know we've talked about this passage many times but this is the command to join the battle Uh, we give it a quaint name we call it the 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 great commission it sounds nice right (laughs) Um, maybe we should call it the battle cry maybe we should call it the call to battle instead of the great commission because the great commission just sounds like you know a, a nice title for something He says that we are commanded to join the battle in making disciples, baptizing disciples, and teaching disciples. And those are the three most difficult things that I can think of to do in this life. It is very difficult to make a disciple. It is very difficult to put yourself out there and share your faith with somebody in such a way that they're drawn to the throne of God and ask, in the power of a Savior, Jesus Christ, to be saved. That is a, that's a difficult conversation. And some of us have shied away from that. And, and maybe that's where some of the suffering is. Uh, we need to, to learn to suffer in our own embarrassment. In our own awkwardness, in just getting out there and talking to people about the gospel of Jesus Christ, and then ma- and and, 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 and baptizing—that's pretty easy. All, although you'd be surprised, because sometimes people come to faith in Christ and they don't want to be baptized, and it's another battle. We've had we've had that battle with some folks, haven't we? Scripture teaches if you're saved, you should be baptized. So it, 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 it they come around. But I'm going to say, making and teaching are probably the most difficult. Have you ever discipled somebody? Have you ever sat with somebody, and just studied scripture with them, spent time with them, helping them to grow in their faith? Uh, these are things we talk about. We say the church should do. Uh, we talk about that it should happen uh, in small groups, or it should happen one-on-one. All kinds of. We have all kinds of different ideas about this, um, but this is the invisible conflict that we have to be engaged in, and that is a conflict. Over the souls of people. It's an invisible battle. It's dark and light. It's sin and salvation. It's good. It's evil. And that's the invisible battle that we're called into. That's the conflict uh, that Paul says. We're, we're called into, I love that. I'm going I'm to read those last two verses again. It says, it's been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, that would be too easy, <laughs> but also to suffer for his sake. And in that suffering, you are engaged in the same conflict that we saw Paul had, and at that time still had. Of course, Paul is with the Father in heaven now. He's no longer engaged in that conflict, but we're engaged in the conflict that conflict is the conflict that the father calls all of his children into a conflict of obedience against the forces of evil the invisible to share our faith to ask people to follow Christ and to lead them along that path as they as they Make a wise decision. I'm not talking about a, a, a quick, hey, pray this prayer, now you're saved. But, but Jesus says, you know what? You got to count the cost. You guys remember the passage where he says, no one goes out to fight a battle without first seeing how big the army is that's coming. No one goes out to build a house without first counting the cost of building the house and deciding whether or not they can actually afford to do it. We do the same thing uh, in Christianity, at least we should. We should say, hey, you know what, if you, if you become a follower of Christ, Maricel, I don't know if we ever had that conversation, right? Hey, Maricel, um, guess what? If you become a follower of Christ, you're going to suffer. That's not very attractive, right? We're going to suffer for our faith. But that's the calling of the Christian, uh, and that's part of why that conversation is difficult because you're calling people into something that's completely foreign, completely different from this world. It's, it's, it's otherworldly. It's of the Father. It's of God. Again, 30,000-foot view of suffering today, and we have only scratched the surface, only just scratched the surface. But I uh, I think my takeaways from this this week is asking the question, why am I not suffering more? This is the question I have. I don't know what question you were left with today. When we gather on Wednesday in our small group, those of you who come to that small group, anybody else that wants to join, we'll talk some more about it. Um, But that's my big question. I can think of times a little bit in Poland where we suffered some difficulties. It wasn't real bad. But uh, honestly, um, we've had some some bad things happen this week. We had to put a new heater and furnace uh, and, and air conditioner in our house this week. It was really expensive. Um, I don't consider that suffering for the sake of Christ. That's just stuff that happens. And there's a lot of stuff that just happens. We live in a broken world. We live in a, that's a totally different kind of suffering. That's another element of suffering we're not even touching today. We live in a broken world full of sin. Sinful things happen. People make bad decisions. People suffer for it. We all have those kinds of sufferings. But why? That's the question I have for myself. Why am I not suffering more? for Christ. And I can't answer that question yet. And I can't answer it for you if it's your question. It's something we're going to have to think about and pray about and seek the Father about. When I spoke to my friend in Myanmar this morning, I told him we would pray for him. He is, uh, again, seeking another place uh, to live. He would love to be able to have a place to live and a place to worship. They can't afford it, so usually the place they live is the place they worship. Um, but like I told you, he said in the last, uh, and I'm trying to remember uh, without getting my phone out and looking at it, but it was something like they've moved five or six times in the last nine years, maybe the other way around, maybe nine times in the last five. But all that to say, every time people find out they're believers, they're Christians, they're not Buddhist, they're like, I'm sorry, we're going to have to kick you out. Um, you, you can't live here and worship here anymore. Um, so that's a very real struggle. That's one we know about. There are, struggles upon struggles. Uh, You can go to Voice of the Martyrs and read about uh, uh, that. You can go to International Mission Board, uh, read about uh, countries and people groups all around the world that have struggles and difficulties, if that's something you choose to want to pray about. Because don't forget, as we read, suffering is a struggle we carry together. If you're not suffering enough, at least get involved in somebody else's suffering. Find someone who's suffering. (laughs) There's a lot of people out there all around the world that are suffering for the sake of Christ. If you're not suffering enough, at least pair up with somebody else who is. Find out how you can walk with them. Find out how you can pray with them. Find out how you can support them. Serve them. Love them. Maybe you'll learn something from them. Maybe we will learn something from them that will unlock the key to why we're not suffering more. Um, I hesitate to pray and ask the Father to um, to make us suffer, but maybe the American church could use a little suffering. Maybe the American church could use a lot of suffering. You know what happens in churches that suffer, in cultures where Christianity suffers? It explodes. It grows. We know stories from missionaries that we knew that were in countries and I can't recall the countries now, but they would have been there sharing their faith, sharing the gospel, and something happened, internal struggles or turmoil in the country, the missionaries had to leave for a period of time, two years, five years, ten years, and then they'll come back and they'll check what happened later. And in that interim time when all the Christians from outside of the country had been pulled out, the internal Christianity structure exploded. And it just happens over and over again. When there's times of suffering and persecution where people are suffering for the sake and the name of Christ. Maybe one of the reasons the American church is shrinking is we're not suffering enough. Because we are shrinking. Yeah, if you didn't know that. The American church is shrinking. There's churches closing weekly. There aren't any more churches in Elmwood Park. I don't know if you guys know that. Um, There's us and there's St. Celestine's, that's it. There was a church in the middle, they moved out to the edge. I'm not sure they're in Elmwood Park anymore, but uh, the Methodist Church has been torn down, made into apartments. Uh, That New Horizon one, that's been torn down, it's being made into a park. You know the Presbyterian Church was torn down uh, years ago. Um, Lutheran Church ironically became a Buddhist temple. Uh, There aren't any other Bible-teaching, believing, evangelical Christian churches in Elmwood Park. 24,000 and we're it now. Yeah. Churches are shrinking. Bible churches are closing. Uh, Southern Baptist churches are closing. All kinds of churches are closing. It's shrinking. Maybe we need to suffer some more so we can see the real church rise and grow in America. Heavenly Father, Lord, we don't uh, we didn't even begin to scratch the surface. and I feel like we, I did a terrible job of even of even talking about a topic that's so foreign to us because um, most of us have no frame of reference for what suffering uh, for the name of Christ means. But Scripture again and again promises it, guarantees it, says it is uh, 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 a part, a normal part, an, an expected part of our Christian life and walk as we together strive, as we learned last week. It's something that should be uh, normal, not extraordinary. But Lord, we we don't see it. and and We kind of scratch our heads sometimes and wonder what that means. But I think also deep down inside, we breathe a little sigh of relief. And and maybe we've even been tempted to think, we must not be suffering because we're doing it right. But Lord, I, I am convinced that is not the case. That statement that I put in the message that I said, I, I think this is true, uh, that that statement, Lord, um, if you're not suffering for your faith, you're not doing it right, I, I after studying this week and reading the Scriptures and the passages from Peter and Paul and others on the guarantee of suffering, I I think we must be doing something wrong. And Lord, I'm not even sure we know what that is at this point. Because you need to wake us up. We need to have uh, an awakening (laughs) Lord, I pray that your spirit will move in us that we can see what it is uh, that we are failing to do. Where are we missing? Why is the church in the United States dying and closing the doors? And it doesn't seem like that it's happening in an in a, uh, atmosphere of suffering. It's just... Uh, kind of a slow whittling away as less and less people come. They're less and less able to pay pay the bills to the point where one day they just can't pay the bills anymore, so they close. And I I don't think I would even characterize that as Christian suffering. I don't think that's suffering for the name of Christ. Um, I'm embarrassed by that. I'm ashamed of that, and we're not supposed to have shame. Lord, I pray that you do something different here in us, and while we may not know what to pray, we know, Lord, that you know what we need, that you know uh, what the key is, and we say it like it's some magic key if we make a, a three uh, changes in the church, all of a sudden everything will be great, and, and I don't even begin to believe that that's true, Lord, you have to change our hearts, and you have to do that individually, and you have to do that corporately. Uh, you have to do that uh, as, a, as a nation, as a nation, uh, the, the Christians in the nation. You need to, Lord, awake us up and make us uncomfortable. The things that we've trusted in and the structures and the schedules in the church and the things that we do may not be what you really want us to do. It may just be the things that we've been doing because that's what the church has always done. And so, Lord, while we don't know uh, what the answer is, we do know that what's happening right now is is just a dim reflection of what it seems like it should be. It's good, but it's not great. It's ours, but it's not completely yours. We have our hands in it too much. So, Lord, I pray that you begin to change us, change our hearts, change our minds, change our attitudes, change our outlooks. Lord, that we can put aside our needs, our desires, our wants, our wills, our perceived rights, and become obedient Christ followers. I think if we begin to, to, to follow you as obedient Christ followers, Lord, the, the rest will come. Lord, forgive us where we have not obeyed. Forgive us where we've been silent. Forgive us where we've withheld. Lord, thank you for reminding us of the battle call of the Christian. Go make disciples baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teach them everything you've commanded. Lord, those, those three simple things, that's what you, that's what you told uh, the, the 12 to do. Actually, it was 11 at that point. Judas had already gone. He told them to go and do those things. You told them to wait for the Holy Spirit, and then after they received it, you sent them out with a simple three-step plan. <laughs> Go make disciples, baptize them, and teach them. Lord, I pray that you will, you will round us up. You'll point us in the same direction. You'll focus us as obedient Christ followers to do the most important thing that you want us to do as a church. And if suffering comes, uh, Lord, we're going to rejoice in it. I don't know if we're going to go so far as to ask for it, but Lord, if we need to ask for it, change our hearts in that manner too, that we would be willing to say if it requires suffering for the kingdom of God to be born uh, into Elmwood Park, then so be it. I think we could pray that, Father. I think we could say to you today, if it's going to require suffering on our part for people in Elmwood Park to come to faith in Christ, then so be it. Then Amen. I don't know if all of us can pray that. I'm not sure if we really even want to pray it, Lord. But I I feel like that's the right prayer. And so, Lord, that's our prayer today. I think I, that's my prayer today. I I can't speak for everybody else here, but as a church, I can lead us to pray in this direction. So, Lord, we're going to pray and ask that if it takes suffering on our part for the, the, the village of Elmwood Park to have an awakening in Christ where people come to faith uh, and, and, and instead of parks being built, there's churches being built. Uh, instead of condos, there are churches uh, being built in Elmwood Park. Once again, Lord, then, then so be it. Then amen. Then, then we know what we're supposed to do. Go make disciples, baptize disciples, and teach disciples. Lord, I pray that you do that in us today. In the name of Jesus Christ, we ask this. Amen. Amen. Wow. Um, I feel like uh, during the prayer, the Lord spoke to us. (laughs) That's how I feel. I feel like he did. Um, That was a dangerous prayer. I don't know. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you prayed the dangerous prayer. Um, I think all prayer is dangerous, but some, I think, are more dangerous than others. But I think I'm willing to say, man, if, if, if it would take some suffering to see something amazing of God uh, come into Elmwood Park, then I'm on. I'm in. I'm willing. And I know some of you are too. Um, I don't know what that's going to look like or what it's going to be, but I'm excited about it. And uh, yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited for that. We're going to close. I'm going to have uh, Dick Lambert. He's going to come lead us in a, in a closing prayer in a moment. Um, And uh, will you pray for our friend in Myanmar when you close? Okay, he will. Um, That they find a place. um, uh, And then if you uh, need help finding some people that are suffering for their faith and you want to connect with some, just send me a text or an email or call me this week uh, and we'll help you get connected. Um, I think that would be a good place for us to start. If we walk with brothers and sisters who are suffering for their faith, um, I think it'll make us stronger. And uh, I think it'll help us to see the direction that we need to go to. Dick, if you'll come close us in prayer, that'd be great, thanks.